Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. We were just talking about Kingdom Hearts, like literally seconds before we started recording, which is very exciting for me anytime I get to sort of pull you into my world. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of appropriate. That's what the game's about. This is a podcast where we talk about things we like. It's just great. It's what the game's kind of about. You know, this anime boy's now in the Winnie the Pooh, right? It's him in the Hundred Acre Wood, and he's hanging out with Winnie the Pooh. Is it? Does it feel like when Disney cor- characters are incorporated that it is done so in a way that is thoughtful to the integrity of the Disney character? Or is it more about the anime characters and then occasionally like Tigger shows up? Uh, the latter, okay. the latter by an enormous, enormous degree. Okay. My first small wonder is actually the dog man Goofy. Um, I like his work in general. We okay. watch a lot of Mickey based programming. Henry's like, it's the only thing Henry likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loves the Mickey universe more than he loves his parents. And that's fine. Like, well, yeah. we haven't done as much for society as they have. And Goofy's there and he's always putting in the work. He's always there trying to, you know, earn a buck. And Henry pronounces it Gooshy. Gooshy, which is always great. It's fun. Um, and I mean, the Goofy movie can't beat that. And obviously, like, nobody thought he could carry his own vehicle, but he did. And then he tried it again. And it wasn't as good because he went to college and whatever. But in Kingdom Hearts, you get to hear Goofy say things like, well, gosh, Xehanort tried to pull Winnie the Pooh into a darkness <laughs> corridor. <laughs> Oh, so you started playing the game? Oh, yes. Gosh, Kyrie's heart was almost corrupted in the data cube. <laughs> like, and these are not too... Gosh, Buzz Lightyear's going to get uh, turned into a nobody when his heart is absorbed by ultimate darkness. Is he like the Yuck. narrator for the whole game? <laughs> no, but he is your partner. So Anime Boy is constantly... His companions are Donald and Goofy. Oh, wow. There's so much you don't know about Kingdom So Hearts. wait, Donald says stuff too? You're uh, Rachel's play acting right now because she's like the biggest KH fan I know. And <laughs> you were just mentioning how every outlet is like doing these Kingdom Hearts recaps. So I was wondering if you could just do like we got just sixty seconds, just like break down the the plot. No, of- what I'm saying is I watch the Polygon breakdown right and then i got a bunch of suggested videos on my youtube of yeah other kingdom hearts recaps which i did and they not must watch. have been so frustrating for you because you are like the ultimate lore keeper like rachel is actually the admin for the kh wiki mm-hmm. um, i see i was leading a direction where i th- was hoping that you would do your donald duck impression saying <laughs> kingdom of hearts things <laughs> all right never mind <laughs> That's, I mean, it's very it's good. It's you can't do words. I don't know how the fuck he does it. Yeah. Goofy is my first Uh So you want to hear about Kingdom Hearts then, I guess? Yeah, so just recap it. Okay, so there's this guy, and he's got real spiky hair. Yeah, I've said his name about eight times in the last minute, what the name is. <laughs> I did say it in a Donald Duck voice, so maybe it doesn't count. Doladort. Doladort is right. <laughs> Sounds like Voldemort and Donald Duck kind of got together and like sort of spawned a hybrid, but okay. Uh huh. And um, he's trying to um get on the magic carpet from Aladdin. There, that does happen in I believe KH one to defeat uh the other anime guy whose name is which is. Malreiko. And how many of him are there? Oh, I mean, just one, right? Oh, that's the wrongest thing you've said yet. <laughs> uh, so what's your first small wonder? You got anything good? I 
bought myself a stepladder and oh yes i told griffin about it earlier this week and it didn't seem like he was super excited about it but i have to say as a woman that does not like to be dependent on a man for anything mm. having the stepladder i feel like now i can do all the things in the house yeah. Like, I can live fully independently now with this stepladder. I mean, the only way I can relate to you on this is going to be so demeaning. But when I had, I had a stepladder in the bathroom when I was like a little kid, and it was a very <laughs> helpful friend. And it said something like clever, like, if you need to get up, then step up. But if you want to rest, take a seat. It was nice. It was that cute. It was nice. Um, yeah. No, when I said that I got a stepladder, Griffin's first question was for Henry. And I said, no, 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 for me, so I can get paper towels out of the cabinet. Yeah. But I mean, you're looking at 70 inches of raw stretching power, just 70 inches plus wingspan. I don't even know what that is. How long is my arm? Probably like another, another two feet. So you're talking about 80, 80, something like that, man. Yeah. A lot of inches of reach power. Okay. I don't think my arms are 10 inches long. I don't know much about spatial stuff. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm going first this week. Yes. My first thing is get this crystals. This surprises me. My first thing is crystals. And I'm not necessarily talking about the homeopathic. Do you mean women named Crystal? I'm talking about Crystal Gale. I'm talking about <laughs> Crystal Bernard, who was my favorite cast member in Wings. I just thought of two famous crystals. What the, what the fuck you got? Nothing. Um, I'm talking not necessarily about the energy that crystals do. And if that's your jam, like, go for it. If that's, if that's your jam, for sure. I love it. I love that that's your jam. I'm talking more about crystals themselves. The crystals themselves. Yes, I can speak in the plural about crystals. There's lots of them. Lots of these shiny little doodads called crystals. We watched a Kiwami Japan video. It's the most recent one that they put up in which uh, the creator of these wonderful knives, which I've talked about this channel before, and I'm still obsessed with it. He made a, a knife out of bismuth, which is a metal that I wasn't really familiar with. And it sent me down sort of a crystals rabbit hole. I think bismuth might be, I don't know. I, I still don't know much about crystals. Um, but there's a part in the video where, first of all, bismuth, when you heat it to like a certain level and then expose it to cold air, depending on what the temperature was, it can form sort of these different iridescent hues. Uh, so like he melts down the bismuth and then like pulls some out and it's like this sort of glossy bronze color and then it's like this sort of darker blue color. Um, but it also makes these like wild shapes. So I got I got obsessed with those wild shapes that this metal made and I wanted to know everything about crystals. And so I did a bit of a crystal deep dive. You're looking at me. I feel like you don't, you were telling me that you were super into um, like fool's gold when you were younger, right? Like py pyrite, is that what it was? Mm-hmm. I'm so yeah, I had like a little tiny rock collection. I did too. We would go to uh, Ruby Falls in Chattanooga. I guess I just have never heard you talk about crystals before. So I'm, I'm just kind of wrapping my head around crystal griffin. Well, I think they're sort of, uh, they're sort of ubiquitous. I feel like I did have rocks when I was a kid. I had a rock sort of collection. I remember getting like a Christmas present that was sort of like a, a rock sifting kit. Oh, the tumblers. Like a tumbler, yes. Um, and also like every Japanese role playing game has got to have crystals in it. So I'm, I've only, I'm about three hours into kingdom heart three, but I'm pretty sure a fucking crystal is <laughs> going to show up at some point and you're going to need to, you know, get five of them to save the world or whatever. Um, I think crystals are, are super pretty, but I didn't know anything about crystals. I thought that like, um, crystals were just like gemstones. 
but the Venn diagram is all gemstones or crystals, but not all crystals are gemstones. Oh, okay. What I learned about crystals, and that's really, really fascinating. I was mostly fascinated by the, the these shapes that the bismuth made. Yeah, um, okay. Because when uh, when you when you when you you can make a bismuth crystal actually really easily at home. It has a fairly low melting point. Uh, it's kind of in the lead family, which is also similarly kind of easy to. Uh, melt but it's not as uh, toxic um, it is slightly radioactive which I thought was weird but uh, it makes these shapes whenever you can uh, you can make these bismuth crystals that have these shapes that uh, the best way I can describe it is like a like a stair step kind of pattern almost like a like a ziggurat uh, if that means anything Ooh. to you and it's uh, they can occur naturally like they can occur in nature uh, and I was like googling like why does it make that shape um, and crystals can make all kinds of different shapes and in fact that's kind of what makes them crystals crystals are defined by having this very uh specific ordered microscopic structure that informs its sort of macro shape um so in an instance where a crystal's like uh um uh, you know atomic makeup naturally arranges itself into like a cube like that's just the way that the atoms sort of line up then that crystal can grow into a perfect cube like it's rare but that you can find pyrite i remember actually when i was looking this up that i was watching this like um discovery channel video about like um i think it was about marble mining but they did a segment on this pyrite vein that they found and then you just walk into this cave and then there's these weird dull metallic cubes everywhere just growing out of the wall it looks like something out of like a sci-fi movie yeah it looks like some sort of alien civilization planted then but as it just so happens like pyrite can have uh this atomic structure that forms itself into a cube on a microscopic level and you do that enough times within this within this uh you know cubic system and it's just going to naturally grow into this like nearly perfect cube um it's so bonkers and so there's seven different sort of um basic broad categories of crystal shapes uh crystallographers which is a phenomenal word uh call them crystal systems so this 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 is a cubic crystal system but there's all kinds uh there's some that have sort of more defined shapes and there's some that are a little more sort of uh uh abstract um but like i've never thought about it before like you think of a crystal and a lot of crystals just have like smooth faces and you know very defined edges and like that's not necessarily how rocks grow and the reason that crystals grow that way is just because like that's how they're defined is because of their their very specific ordered atomic structure um which can, I, thought was I, can neat. I say something real quick yes billy crystal Billy Crystal has an, a very specific atomic structure. Mm-hmm. He is a perfect cube. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of another crystal. And I, and I just thought, if, if I don't say Billy Crystal right now, you're going to burst. Yeah, I saw it. you over there mm-hmm. sort of shuddering with uh, anticipation. Um, so like obviously like gems are usually gems and crystals. You, you find them in nature. They're usually fairly small, but they can, you know, obviously grow. Uh, huge and unchecked. The largest uh, crystal ever found was in Madagascar. It was a barrel, which is kind of like the family that uh, aquamarine and emerald are in. Okay. Uh, it was 59 feet long and 11 feet wide. Whoa. It was extremely heavy and it was a huge, huge gemstone. I don't know how like the entire like region, the like all of Madagascar wasn't like, well, everybody here is now rich. <laughs> we, found, <laughs> we found the biggest shit ever. Um, and, uh, so I was looking into business specifically, right? Because of this video, I almost went like, I almost went on eBay and was like, I'm going to buy some bismuth and see if I can <laughs> melt it down and make my own like geodes. I'm going to get full Hank Trader up in this shit. Um, <laughs> and the reason that it makes that sort of ziggurat shape, um, 
It's kind of, I'm not, it almost looks like a maze. It looks like a metallic maze that sort of grows naturally because it has these like raised ridges and then it looks like parts of it are just sort of hollowed out, but in this like very perfect square pattern. The reason that happens, it's called a hopper crystal um, because it grows, the edges of it grow faster than the faces of it. And so when that happens and it grows, like a crystal grows extremely fast, like bismuth does when you heat it up and then take it out out of, you know, into the exposed air and it forms a crystal super quickly, like it just like the edges grow so much faster than the faces that it makes this like really weird and hypnotic pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's very cool. I also didn't know technically a snowflake is a crystal. Oh, it grows in a specific, I it's like it grows in a specific shape, right? It grows in yeah. a, uh, I mean, it's a unique shape, but it has a sort of specific pattern that it follows on a micro scale that it sort of turns into a macro thing. Actually, one snowflake can be actually multiple crystals it can be its own sort of crystal yeah, system I see that um ice can grow like this like ice you know yeah. not even necessarily snow ice can grow like this gold can grow like this and in, in uh uh you know these very very specific like cube like patterns sometimes um i just thought that was so interesting like uh yeah. i i mean it's it feels like a more of a visual thing like part of me just wants to look at pictures of crystals now yeah i kind of like i i, I feel like i've always been fascinated with uh, I made a whole fucking arc of the adventure zone around crystals. And yeah. so like, I, and, and, and obviously I think that sort of, uh, reveals that like, I'm into, I'm into the, the idea of like these precious stones mm-hmm. that grow out of the ground, not, not necessarily for their worth, but for their, like, uh, their complexity, their complexity and their yeah. beauty and like what they, that these things can just sort of naturally come out of the earth. Like I, I think is really, really Super neat and is, in fact, way, way neater than I uh, had any idea because of uh, science shit that I've done a super bad job explaining. I hope I've done an okay job explaining. I think you did a good job. Thank you. Crystals are tight. What's your first thing? My first thing is middle names. This is, I'm going to learn so much. (laughs) I know nothing about middle names. Uh, So the three name structure began in the Middle Ages when Europeans were torn between giving their child a saint's name or a common family name. Is that apocryphal? Is that really where the middle name comes from? Because that seems that seems wild. So the to me. there was the first name, and then the baptismal name was second, and then the surname third. Interesting. Uh, and it was also like a sign of nobility. Okay. You know, so like the more names you had, the more connected you were to like a longer line of ancestors. I will also say that, uh, and this is something I found. Um, when I was researching it in England, middle names were for nobility and there was an old law making them illegal for the rest of the population. Whoa. Yeah. That seems hard to enforce, huh? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you get like somebody's, some middle-aged mom gets mad at their kids. My for name not is John them. Stewart. I mean, <gasps> I mean, oh no. <laughs> some mom gets mad at her kids in the middle ages and it's like, Dennis David Smith. <gasps> no. Authorities come and he drag goes to her jail. Away. He goes to jail, and he's a kid. Isn't that fucked up? Uh, so the first time you saw middle names, like on a, a government document, was uh, World War One on U.S. enlistment forms. Really? Um, no one on the Mayflower had a middle name. Only three of the first seventeen presidents had a middle name. What? Um, only about five percent of Americans born during the Revolutionary War era had middle names. This isn't. This is fucking wild. Mm-hmm. I know. I had no idea that this was such a new 
thing. Mm -hmm. No wonder there's so many like celebrities and, um, you know, assassins that, you know, have to go by their whole thing. John John Paul Gossler, Paul, what's his name? (laughs) You're thinking of Mark Paul Gossler from Saved by the Bell. I think I'm thinking of Ron Paul Gossler. (laughs) Ron Paul Gossler. That's our trivia team name. Ron Paul Gossler's Relevution. In Germany, middle names became common in the 17th century. So if you think about like Johann Sebastian Bach. Okay. Was born in 1685. Um, German immigrants arriving in Pennsylvania are credited with being the first Americans to use middle names regularly. Uh, by the 19th century, you saw a greater population boom just in America and Europe. Uh, and so that's when you saw more people with middle names because there were just a lot of duplicates. I mean, like there were, you know, probably thousands of John Smiths and it was like, well, let's th- throw in a middle name. In there. I am so fucking ignorant. I thought this whole time, literally, <laughs> Not just throughout time, but every culture on the planet was like, oh, well, you got to have a middle name. Mm-hmm. So I started doing some research on the multiple middle names, too. Yeah. Because I was kind of curious about that. Um, it was a, a German tradition. Uh, a lot of members of the royal family that immigrated from Germany to Britain uh, had the multiple middle names. Uh, traditionally, the British upper class used multiple names to indicate family connections. Uh, and so some examples are uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, mm. J.R.R. Tolkien. Do you know what his middle names are? Really, really Tolkien. <laughs> J- J- Jim Really, Really Tolkien. <laughs> his dad was just really Tolkien, and then the next one was really, really. <laughs> his, his grandchildren have so many R's now. Yeah. No, it's John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Okay. Rule was a family name from his father's side. Okay. George R. R. Martin. Do you know what his mills are? I mean, I could do the same joke. But Raymond Richard. R- really really making us wait for the next I don't know. I haven't <laughs> read all the books. Do you know Kiefer Sutherland's full name? No, but this am I going a really to? Good one. Kiefer William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus Sutherland. <gasps> What? Yes, sir. His dad is famous. Like you can't yeah. hide. You can't hide from what you did. So Donald. his father, Donald Sutherland, picked Kiefer to honor Warren Kiefer, who directed him in the first film he did. Okay, but I don't know how you explain all the other ones. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, I love my middle name. Yeah, Rachel's middle name is beautiful and elegant, and I love it. It's Celia, C-E-L-I-A, and it was my great-grandmother's name. Yes. It's funny that you mentioned the saint thing, because I weirdly don't want to say what our son's middle name is, but it's a saint, and so is mine. My middle name is Andrew. I know that. I, do, I do know you that you knew know? that. I knew you knew my middle name. Oh, you're, you're sharing it with our audience? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Griffin, I have a surprise for you. I'm getting a new middle name? No, I reached out to uh, one Clint McElroy to see if there was a story behind your name. Oh, okay. I This is new information for mm-hmm. me. I said, hey, I'm thinking about talking about middle names on Wonderful, and I'm wondering if there's any story behind Griffin Andrew. And he said that your mom was convinced you were having a girl so that you, they hadn't even considered boy names. Uh, but then when you quote, turn profile to show junk during the ultrasound. God, dad. Uh, they realized it was crunch time, so they got every baby name book on the planet. 
and they had the two syllable two syllable thing with uh, Justin Tyler and Travis Patrick, so they right. knew they wanted to stick with that. But they spent literally every evening for a month looking through baby name books. This is a long ass text. Oh, it keeps going. Okay. He said that he really pushed for uh, Clinton email McElroy the third. Yeah. My dad, my dad's a junior. We never, ever, ever talk about that. I've, I've seen him referred to as Clinton Emil McRoy Jr. maybe twice in my mm-hmm. life. So, uh, They apparently were watching an episode of Amazing Stories that had the actor Griffin Dunn in it. And that appealed to your mom as a first name. Okay. And they appa- I got, Now I'm going to fucking Google this guy. Are you kidding me? Griffin Dunn. D-U-N-N-E. He's on This Is Us. No. Oh. <laughs> Okay, I think I know this guy. I think it was more the name than the actor. I think that's where they got the na- idea. It wasn't like your mom was super into him as a thespian. It doesn't matter. I have his name. I need to. I need to. I need to write him a letter or something. Uh, your dad said they picked Andrew in the delivery room. <laughs> cool, Dad. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I guess by the third kid, you're less precious about names." And he was like, "Actually, we felt more pressure." for Griffin because we knew he was going to be the last co-production. Yeah, true. And then he goes on to talk about his middle name, Emil, and how terrible it was. Yeah. Wow. Well, sounds like you got in (laughs) way over your head. (laughs) Um, But hey, can I steal you away? So we don't have any ads this week, but we do have Gumba Trams, and I'm going to read the first one, and do you want to alley-oop it with the second one? Of course. The first one here is for Classiest Miracle, and it's from Rajiru, who says, Hey, Classiest Miracle, for being a Gemini, you're pretty cool. I don't think I know enough about that stuff to know what that means. I don't either. I think it's a summer birthday. I thought for Gemini it means that you have. there's two of you somewhere on the earth no okay I like that. anyway uh, i just want to let you know i think you're wonderful even though you never reply back to my uh sexy emoji chain texts a lot of give and take with this message <laughs> sorry for uh commenting on it so much i'm also glad i finally got to meet one of your boyfriends so now i know they are real here's to more memes and vine compilations rajiru um <laughs> do you see the preferred time frame on this one <laughs> is that this? Yeah. Holy shit. This is episode 69. <laughs> Roger Roo said, episode 69, nice, which I think is late February or something. Calendar math is hard. It sure is. <laughs> you, you, you scrooged it by a little bit, but uh, not that I knew any better. Oh, my God. I know. Should we go back and change the theme? I, I don't know, but I'm definitely going to change what my second thing is. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the second Jumbotron here? Uh, This next message is for Sarah. It is from Dorian. Sarah, by the time you hear this, I'll be back in your time zone again. Phew. I'll make this quick. You're my best friend, and I love you a whole lot. Out of all the people to get kicked out of Shakespeare class with, I'm glad it was you. Let's meet up again soon and make an obscene amount of pancakes together. P.S. Give your cat a kiss for me. I mean, you know what an obscene amount of pancakes would be, right? 69. 69 pancakes. (laughs) That's good. 
Hello, this is Amy Mann. And I'm Ted Leo. And we have a podcast called The Art of Process. We're talking about how the creative process is in itself an art form, in our opinion. There are underlying forms and structures that serve as a scaffolding for any creative endeavor. We've been lucky enough over the past year to talk to some of our friends and acquaintances from across the creative spectrum to find out how they actually work. We weirdly don't know as many musicians as you would expect. New episodes will be coming every other Monday. Starting January 28th. So please Please listen and subscribe at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast. My second thing is the number 69. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. And first of all, hey, did you know that Wikipedia has entries on sex positions? This is the real Wikipedia. There's a picture, a cartoon, and there's it's folks. <laughs> Variations of the 69. There's variations, according to Wikipedia. Well, I guess it depends on where you are. 69, also known by its French name, Swantenu. What's nine? Katsi, Katsi, Neuf. is a group of sex positions in which two people align themselves so each person's mouth is near the other's genitals. <laughs> My second thing is actually a band. The number 68. It's a number 54. Um, it's uh, the Polyphonic Spree. Oh, good. Uh, so uh, Ju- my oldest brother, uh, who is named, who's called Justin, uh, Justin Tyler, uh, turned me on to this band when I was like just about to enter into college, and I just pretty much instantly fell in love with them. Um, I have this very vivid memory while I was like, writing out notes about this of um one of their albums had just come out while i was working at tcby and i had one of those old like radio emitters that you could plug into your ipod this was like before uh, like bluetooth and everything so you'd have to like plug this thing into the top of your ipod and then it would like you could set the radio frequency that you wanted it to play to and then you could like turn your car radio to that frequency oh i'm not familiar with this at all yeah so there was a radio at tcby like over the sound system and i figured out like oh, i'll just put on this album all fucking day and so like my entire shift i would just have uh polyphonic spree blasting in the uh in the in the the room which delighted and also confused a lot of patrons uh, if you're not familiar with polyphonic spree you are because their music was in like every movie and tv show and commercial in the like mid aughts i want to say um you've probably seen them before even if you didn't know who they were and thought hey that's weird because there's 23 of them currently <laughs> uh there's been sort of more and less of them um they're the act if you have gone to a music festival and seen a bunch of people in robes that's them. yes sort of arranged in a very sort of choral uh choral arrangement uh the band is super super unique and i think that's like won me over what what won me over back in the uh mid-aughts when i sort of got into them uh so it is uh, the band is led by a guy named tim delauder it's not laughter right because it's spelled no that it's way. still Lauder. thank you i thought that was it um and his like inspiration for making the polyphonic spree and i'm going to play some music here in a little bit and you'll hear this um was to sort of mimic the kind of music that he grew up listening to specifically like the um the 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 choral arrangements and orchestral arrangements of like pop bands like the beatles and elo and beach boys 
Um, and according to Wikipedia, he wanted to blend that with the vocal style of Ozzy Osbourne from Black Sabbath, which I think you can totally get. Um, and what's so great about this band is that all of their, well, most of their songs like have this like cosmically uplifting sort of message and tone about them uh, most of the time. And probably their most popular song really captures this, which is a song called Hold Me Now. All of their songs, actually, from their earlier albums are called Sections. The music video for Hold Me Now is so great, It's very good. It's puppets, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, I forget which section this is, because I forget which album it's, it, it is on. But it's, like, this song is all about this person who, like, hits rock bottom and then, like, goes seeking for, like, love and help, which they receive from somebody else, which is, like, a nice message. So here's a little bit of Hold Me Now, a song you've probably heard selling you a Volkswagen back in 2005. So like all their all their songs for the most part are these like really upbeat orchestral arrangements uh, that are very sort of uh, uh, happy, but the band's origins are actually super sad. Um, Tim's like uh, first breakout act was this band called Tripping Daisy. Um, which broke up in 1999 when their guitarist, uh, who was also like Tim's dear friend, uh, this guy named uh, Wes Berggren, uh, died of a drug overdose. And like right after that, the band, uh, I think they finished the album that they were working on when he died and then broke up right after that. Um, and so it was just the following year, it was 2000, when he started looking into making this band that he um, wanted to sort of explore doing all of these weird choral things with. Uh, and he found 12 collaborators one day and then sort of two weeks after pitching them the project, they had this 30 minute long set that they would uh, perform at various sort of small venues and festivals and stuff like that. And then they put that 30 minute set together as a demo, which they were like, hey, let's just send this to some record labels. And then that 30 minute set was basically the beginning stages of which is their first album. Um, it very, very quickly came together. Um, and I think they were like released from their first label because they weren't selling very well but then once it started to get sort of mainstream appeal it was on like an episode of scrubs um i mentioned the volkswagen commercial it was they had songs i believe on the uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind soundtrack um and they did the cover of the nirvana song too they did the cover of lithium uh which i was going to close with this but rachel uh got me tickets to see uh polyphonic spree for my birthday i believe one year and we went and it was a very intimate venue it was a very very we were like right up on the stage like inches from him and and tim delotter in the band and um he like closed with lithium and got super angry because he kept like going up to people in the audience including us and like holding the mic to their mouths thinking everybody knows the lyrics to lithium and nobody nobody knew them as well as he did and he got really frustrated and we've all felt terrible we all felt so i feel i've never felt like i've failed uh the you know, a member of one of my favorite bands before that was a, I, it was still a great concert, but that, that part was very, it set my anxiety sort of to maximum. Um, but yeah, that, that whole first album and a lot of their early work is sort of informed by this like tragic thing that happened, uh, when they were tripping Daisy. Um, 
uh, and like Tim is super forward about that. Like a lot of the lyrics on the first album are kind of about um, trying to bounce back from this terrible thing and becoming very reflective about your life after sort of a, a pattern of sort of self-destructive behavior, um, which you may not get like face value listening to, Hey, it's the sun and it makes me smile. But, um, you know, knowing that I think it's, it's very clearly there. Um, and there's also like roots for what polyphonic spree became in what tripping Daisy was. Um, there is like probably my favorite polyphonic spree song is a cover of a tripping Daisy song called Sonic Bloom, Mm -hmm. which you actually played for me the first time, uh, the tripping Daisy version. And I was like, wait, why does this sound familiar? And because it sounds like a polyphonic spree song and then they covered it back in 2006. Uh, I'm going to play that one now because I think it's just so beautiful and, and uplifting. just like um i uh, this this band more than any other that i can think of off the top of my head like has this like nice core aesthetic yeah. that uh that i think is so special um and i saw uh, polyphonic spree in chicago probably would have been 2005 maybe yeah uh and it was just one of the most joyous concerts i've ever been to yeah uh I just like felt very optimistic and very like comforting and just the like, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I got really into them and the Flaming Lips, which is both like sort of confetti concert, <laughs> confetti, yeah, exactly. the, the two confetti concert bands um, and weed in the same sort of year of my college <laughs> experience. I went to Spencer's Gifts. Oh, no. And I bought like a um, light ball like a it would like sort of like yeah. a disco ball but it had like different rainbow colored lights we yeah. would just like shut the door to my apartment bedroom turn on that light ball listen to the soft bulletin and some flaming lips and, and some some polyphonic spray and just um not your parents listen to the show so we would just sit there and not, <laughs> not just, do hug. Just, just yeah we wouldn't do anything <laughs> what's your second thing my second thing is untranslatable words all right, you're bringing that fucking heat this week. <laughs> uh, so there's a couple things that made me think of this. Okay. First uh, is the the like huga phenomena. You know the Danish word that means like no, uh, warm, cozy. Huga. I, I mean it, it's spelled H Y G G E. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about now? No. Okay. This is like a year ago. There was this phenomenon of people trying to harness this like warm, cozy Danish energy, and everybody was referring to this word uh, because there was a book that came out that was all about like the the big book of Huga or little book of Huga, something like that. Okay. Um, so that made me think of it because that's one of those untranslatable words. And also when I was in graduate school and I was writing poetry, I was taking this class all about like translating from another language. Hmm. Uh, and so I was trying to write a poem kind of similar to that. And I found the word Ilunga, which is a, a Shaluba word, which is the Bantu language spoken in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Okay. And is specifically a word for a person who is ready to forgive 
abuse the first time, tolerate it the second time, but never a third time. That's a that's a one. They got one word for that. Yeah, and so I wrote this poem called "Translator's Blush" that was all about like trying to translate another language. And I was thinking about it the other day, and so I started googling untranslatable words. I bet there are infinite of There's them. There's a whole bunch. So I found this guy, Dr. Tim Lomas, who is a lecturer at the University of East London, and he wrote a book called Happiness Dictionary. Wasn't that the name of the guy from the Halloween movies who was like Michael Myers, like therapist? Dr. Tim Loomis? Okay, sorry. This is for nobody. <laughs> uh, so he wrote this book called The Happiness Dictionary, Dictionary. Um, which is all about untranslatable words. Uh, And so in a Scientific American article, he talks about why they're so fascinating. And I thought he said it really succinctly. He said, an untranslatable word alerts us to something in the world that English-speaking cultures might not have noticed or not analyzed with much detail, but which another culture has picked up on. The thing that like piques my interest in it is like, what is it about our culture that differs from theirs where we didn't need a word for this? Mm -hmm. Like, what are we not like the Hugo word, right? Like, Mm -hmm. why don't we have a single word that captures that aesthetic? Like what's different about our two like cultures and lifestyles that like, we need a faster way to say this. That's what he's saying. So he, he started a website, which you can find if you Google his name and that's L O M A S. So there are 7,000 languages on Earth, uh, and he has created this, what he calls a positive lexography, uh, which as of May 2018 had 1,000 terms in it that were untranslatable. So my pronunciation on these is all going to be terrible because it's very difficult to figure out how to pronounce untranslatable words when nobody is using them. Yeah, you can't even use them in a sentence, yes. Uh, Okay, so this is an Inuit word, and it's ikserapok. Okay. And it refers to the feeling of anticipation when you're expecting someone that leads you to constantly check to see if they're coming. <laughs> so this is like when you're when you're like standing by the door, when you're like standing by the door and looking out the window and you keep like checking to see if they've come. That's, in, that's in, what this word means. It's 2019. <laughs> and with like millennial culture, and don't get me wrong, I'm one of you and I'll I'll die for you. But like why are we using this word constantly? <laughs> You're describing the human experience in 2019 exactly. for every single person exactly. under the age of like 45. There there were so many, by the way, there are so many of these and I had a really hard time narrowing it down. Okay. Um, but here's the next one. This is an Arabic word and it's Ya Aberni, which literally means you bury me. And the concept represents... Uh, declaring your hope that your loved one will outlive you because of how unbearable it would be to live without them. Wow, that's so beautiful. Isn't it? And sad, but nice. Yeah. Sad, nice. We need a word for that that means sad, nice. Sad, nice. (laughs) Uh, Okay, here's a Hindi word. It's uh, jijavisha, which refers to the desire to live and to continue living. It is usually used to talk about a person who loves life and always has intense emotions and desires to live and thrive. Now, I hate to come at you like this. I hate to take your shit apart. Okay. But YOLO. <laughs> like, sorry. Like, yeah, we do have it. And what's great about YOLO is you can't translate it. It's a fucking acronym. It's, you only live I mean, one. okay. <laughs> so. 
It's good. It's a good word. I'm not saying, I don't want to take away from the word. but Well, and YOLO is timeless. I mean, clearly, you're still hearing that all the time today. I say YOLO constantly. <laughs> I, I, I live a life. I have engineered a life. I have built and designed meticulously like a clockmaker, a life that would never require me to do anything that I could possibly say YOLO after. <laughs> I do not. I have not been on a skateboard in many Okay, moons. you're saying this, but I guarantee you before you have sat down in front of a large meal yeah. or a lot of cheese, yeah. you have probably said YOLO. <laughs> I have been at the samples in front of the samples of fresh fresh cheese at the Costco. And they've been like, do you want some of this? I'm like, I mean, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to go to a baseball game later today, but yeah, YOLO. <laughs> and then my butt explodes and I'm like... <laughs> Okay, I have one last one. Yes. And this one is perfect for our podcast, Wonderful. Okay. It is a Serbian word. It's called mirak. And it refers to a feeling of bliss and the sense of oneness with the universe that comes from the simplest of pleasures. It is the pursuit of small daily pleasures that all add up to a great sense of happiness and fulfillment. How and now? How often are they saying this one? Because I feel like I've, I have moments. Our like, podcast would be called Mirak if yeah, we were Serbian. Yes, that's possibly true. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a nice one too. Isn't it nice? This is neat. This is one of those things that like if I see a Facebook article in my feed that's like, yeah. you'll never believe these 10 <laughs> words, I will click on that a hundred times out of a hundred. So I would encourage you, I have not looked at the happiness dictionary myself, but this Dr. Tim Lomas, his website is just full of these words and you can just download it and look at all of them. He's got uh, any fun games on there? all over the world. Has he got any fun games or cool pictures? I mean, he's probably looking for support uh, creating a game. So if you want to reach out to him, I'm sure you could put together an app. Any funny pictures though? GIFs? <sighs> Does he have that one GIF of like a guy, like a stick guy and he's like shoveling and it's like this page isn't finished yet. Mm, with under, like a counter under construction. telling you how many yeah. people have visited. Yeah. Hey, can Did we Did you hear? ever have a GeoCities? A GeoCities or an X-Pages? No, I knew people that did. I did not. Oh, man. Everybody in my middle school had an X-Pages and a GeoCities. Hey, do you want to know what our friends yes, at home please. are all about? Uh, Tom is here, and he says 69. So, like, Tom's just, like, bringing that heat, I guess. That's not what Tom said. So, Tom has this thing to say. <laughs> Tom says, my wonderful thing is seeing landmarks that mean you are nearly at your destination after a long drive. For visiting friends in Biggles Wade, it's the windmills. For going home to my parents, it's the wicker man on the M5. Yo, the place you live sounds fucking cool <laughs> as hell. Well, there's the windmill. So, I'm in Biggles Wade. But when this I get to the, the wicker man. This is the story of Big Giant Head for you all. That is true. Oh, my God. I forget. Yes. That's yeah. the name of our, our technically the name of our business, uh, which, you know, if you watched our TV show and saw the the, the logo we made uh, is we would drive home or we would drive to church. Uh, and on our drive to church, there was some like lawn that had like a huge paper mache head in the front. <laughs> I forget why it was. It wasn't paper mache. It was like some sort of weird huge very detailed head statue i forget the the reason for it but yeah that's why we would just point out and yell big giant head every time that's true <laughs> wow my memory is so shitty and i'm glad that has you, you i'm glad have you a, got married to I'm someone i'm glad i married somebody who can remember every like story that's ever been told to them uh, alexis says something i find wonderful is that next year when i'm in college i will no longer have to ask to use the bathroom i can just get up and go when i need to go <laughs> Do you fucking remember? Do you remember yes. your Do you remember your first week at college when it's like time to really stretch my legs and see what I can get away with? 
Oh, I thought you were going to say, do you remember having to ask to use the bathroom? Because I definitely do. I did do that at least in one class. And somebody was like, you don't have to do. You don't. Oh, you have did to- it in college? No, I meant like in high school. Oh, I remember doing that. But I think I was with my college advisor. So I was lucky that I was in sort of a safe space. And I was in like a journalism 101 class. And I was like, I have to use the restroom. And he was like, then stand up <laughs> and leave. <laughs> I'm picturing like the song, like walking on sunshine playing in your head as you like go to the bathroom. <laughs> but I got to say that that amount of I got drunk on that power. <laughs> Does and that explain your life today where you just use the bathroom constantly? constantly? Yeah. <laughs> I got drunk on that power. But I mean, it's a short walk to, oh, I don't have to ask to go to the bathroom anymore to I'm just going to stop going to class altogether, I think, for <laughs> weeks at a time. <laughs> uh, here's one last one from Auti who says, uh, I just moved to Chicago. Hang, God, hang tough. Ooh. Hang tough up there, Ati. Uh, and I'm very fond of the heat lamps on the train platforms. I imagine you are, especially oh, right now. Yes. Uh, huddling under them in a group uh, on a bitterly cold day like penguins makes me feel less socially anxious, and being the first in a group of commuters to turn them on gives me a disproportionate sense of accomplishment. Those heat lamps oh, are the fucking tops. I remember those. I'd forgotten about them. I saw a video on Facebook, uh, and it was like had the caption like, this is a this is a real Chicago and and it was somebody um, it was somebody with a big slice of deep dish pizza and they were just holding it up to one of those heat lamps to get a good broil going on it. I was like, oh god, that's, that's beautiful, that's so beautiful, man. It's it says something that it's fucking twenty five degrees below zero there right now, and this talking about this makes me miss Chicago so desperately. Um, anyway, hey, we could do, we should do a live show there. I feel like we could totally like knock that one out of the park. Yeah. Like we know enough shit. Anyway, um, so that's it for the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. And uh, big thanks to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. They got a bunch of new shows that you should definitely go check out, like um, JV Club with Janet Varney with a recent episode featuring Wonderful Zone Rachel McElroy. It is so delightful. My wife is very charming. (laughs) You charmed the pants off me that episode. Thank you. It's true. I was doing housework and my (laughs) pants flew off out the window and a bear caught them, ran away. Is there another Max Fun show that you want to promote? Um, I mean, I really like One Bad Mother. Yeah. I started listening to it before we even had Henry. Uh, and I just, I find the ladies on that show just so, so funny and so relatable. And I would recommend it if you uh, have kids or if you are interested in kids or if you're just a big proponent of women, <laughs> I would recommend listening to it. Um, and uh, we have a website, McElroy.family, where you can find all of the like news about our whole stuff, about all our podcasts and videos and stuff. There's a new Monster Factory that's coming out this week. Ooh, that, I'm excited about that. Oh, my God. It's such a good one. I'm so fucking <laughs> psyched. Um, and what else? I feel like that might be it. Thank, yeah. Thanks to everybody who I was very, very, I missed you very much at PodCon. You um, mentioned that on our last episode. I know, but I feel like I, it left a deep wound, okay? I'm sorry it left a deep wound. And I'm just gushing up over here with wound juice. Bye. <laughs>
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Is there a dog in a car at a bar on the street? Yay! I'm Allegra Ringo, a small dog owner. My dog Pistachio howls when she's excited. And I'm Renee Colvert, a big dog owner. My dog Tugboat tips over when he's sleepy. And we co-host a podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog that airs every Tuesday. We bring you all things dog. Yes, dog news, dog tech, dogs we met this week. We also have pretty famous guests on butt legs. We're not going to let them talk about their projects. No. Just want to hear about those dogs. We don't want to hear about your stuff, only your dogs. So join us every Tuesday on Max Fun. 